0: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, speaker, educator, and coach. And this is Food Freedom Body Love, a podcast I put together to help you make peace with food, body image, and weight so you can kick your all-consuming, exhausting, weight-control food obsession habits and start living your best, healthiest life. Before we get going on today's episode, I just wanted to pop in quickly to say thank you for tuning in. This series on health beyond weight, beyond food restriction, and beyond shame and blame is such a labor of love for me. It's something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, and I would love nothing more than for each and every one of these episodes to end up in the hands of those who are struggling with these health concerns and who would love and who need an alternative to the control options, the control prescriptions that are being offered them to them today that are, you know, possibly already not working for them or causing harm. And so I'm going to ask for three big favors. One and two, could you go to iTunes and could you rate and review this episode? And three, could you then share it, share it with five friends? who need to hear the message, share it with a favorite person who you know is struggling with perimenopause or diabetes or PCOS or whatever the concern might be, and who need someone in their corner saying you can trust your body, you can work with your body, you can accept your body, and you can stop fighting yourself and fighting food every moment of every day, Um, and you can be well. So rate, review, share. I'm forever grateful. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am thrilled to bring you an amazing episode about PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Because there are so many myths about the diagnosis of PCOS and the treatment of PCOS. And today uh, I'm talking with Laura Burns and Julie Duffy Dillon and we touch on some big topics and we bust some PCOS myths. Spoiler alert, cutting carbs is not the only solution. It's not even a mediocre solution for PCOS. And uh, like I said, I just couldn't be more excited for you to learn from both Laura and Julie and to hear how these two powerhouses have come together to look at PCOS in a whole new way. So to introduce them just a little bit more, Laura Burns is a fierce fat feminist advocate of body positivity and fat liberation. As the founder of Radical Body Love, she helps folks heal from body shame and oppression so they can empower themselves to live the life they deserve. As a fat Asian woman in recovery from binge eating disorder and living with PCOS, a chronic illness, Laura knows the daily trauma of living in a marginalized body and uses this experience to help others in similar situations connect with themselves in more compassionate ways. Um, Accessibility, trauma sensitivity, and body autonomy are her guiding principles. So, so good. Julie Duffy Dillon, is a fat positive registered dietitian, eating disorder specialist, and food behavior expert, partnering with people with PCOS on their food peace journey. You can hear her on her weekly podcast, Love Food, and you can learn more about her work, including courses for PCOS at juliedillonrd.com. And today they are coming together here, uh, as I've said, to talk about looking at PCOS in a whole new way. So let's go. Hi, Julie and Laura. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you. It's so great to be Thank here. So
0: yeah, I'm really excited to have you because this um, this series is about exploring health beyond weight and beyond food restriction and body shame, um, and really looking at some health concerns and health conditions. Um, where there is a lot of there's a lot of recommended food restriction and weight loss and blame and shame, and with PCOS this comes up a lot. And so I was so excited to have the two of you. of, of um, If you if you aren't already following Julie and Laura on Instagram, you should be PCOS Body Liberation. Um, just to talk about that. So do you guys want to just tell people a little bit about how you came to this work and the way that you do it, and um, we'll just go from there.
2: Who wants to start? Laura, why don't you start? Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Um, So, uh, oh my gosh, where do I start though? I guess I found Julie's work when I was diagnosed with PCOS. That's a good place to start. Um, And I was floundering and I just really, I was given very little information from my doctor aside from uh, you should lose some weight, you should get weight loss surgery, here's some metformin and some birth control, uh, come back. You know, when you want to try to get pregnant, and uh, which is, as I have learned over time, a very common introduction. Um, And it was not a great introduction to having PCOS, and um, it just built upon the lifetime of diet culture and uh, body shaming and fat phobia that I have already experienced. And so um, that is where I started researching about pcOS and trying to find resources and experts and I found Julie and I found her work and it really helped me so much I'm always talking about how Julie like changed my life um, and so you, you know going through her course was really helpful for me and then I had contacted her about working together and uh, luckily she said yes and I was so like, we've been hell yes <laughs> so we've been yeah, uh, uh, building the... in heaven, you guys <laughs> <laughs> we've been building the community ever since then Julie mm-hmm. yeah. do you have a alternative version <laughs>
1: <laughs> No that's um, like well in, in my experience you know I had been working as a dietitian for maybe 5 years and I just kept meeting with people with PCOS even though I really wanted to work just in like food behavior and eating disorder recovery I was kind of thinking I wouldn't do anything with any other kind of like conditions or symptoms or, or syndromes or diseases and people with PCOS kept coming to my office with eating disorders and I'm like, what's up with this? And so, um, yeah, I got really interested in how to help because I noticed nobody else was And I'm like, there's so right. many people struggling. Yeah. And, um, at that point I was definitely invested in non-diet approaches cause I was like, Oh, diets are really harmful. And what is this fat phobia thing? Oh my goodness. This is awful. And it's so entrenched in the PCOS world. So yeah, when, when, when Laura reached out to me, the really, honestly, I can say the only good thing about 2020
2: (laughs) was January when Laura
1: and I had our first discussion about this. Um, I was, I was like, hell yes, this is what I really want to do this because here's what I, my experience, you know, I don't have PCOS, but I've been like working with individuals with PCOS and I see so much of this. People think of it's like their own individual burden to like carry like, Oh, it's just a mindset. I need to shift. and and. I'm like, ah, it's not really like this is this is the world's problem, and we need to rally together. And yes. I've always wanted to see more people with PCOS come together to like get things done, change what's happening in the world to help advocate for better care for more people with PCOS. So so that's why I was a hell yes. Well,
0: yeah, I mean I think with so many um female or female associated hormone issues, there's often really not a lot of information or research or understanding and then the advice is is often based on not a whole lot of actual evidence, right? Um so I find it really interesting. So you found um you started working with PCOS after you'd found sort of the anti-diet mm-hmm. body positive movement. Right. And then for you, Laura, I, what I, I always find so interesting. So when the doctor gave you that advice, did you immediately know, like, this isn't for me or oh. <laughs> did you try it on for size a few times before you were like, okay, this isn't working. Like what was that journey oh, for you?
2: Yeah, no, I immediately knew uh, that it wasn't for me. Cause by the time that I, um, went to the doctor, I already pretty much knew that I had PCOS and I had been working in anti-diet Uh, body liberation circles and the movement for a long time. Um, And so I was a little better positioned than a lot of newly diagnosed people to be able to say, this is not right for me. I'm not going to take, I'm not even going to touch the business card for the weight loss surgeon that you're trying to give me. I'm going to you know, advocate for myself the best way that I can in this moment, which admittedly for me is a very big challenge. I'm still working on that. Um, But yeah, so For me, I already knew in that moment that it wasn't right. And that's why it was like even more upsetting because I already knew this is not right for me and you're giving me nothing that is useful and I'm going to have to figure this out completely on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is like such a terrible way to send somebody off into the world with a new diagnosis.
0: Mm. (laughs) You know, uh, one of the things on my list actually that I wanted to ask both of you because advocating for self is incredibly hard. Um, it's a, it's an incredibly challenging thing for most people. Um, and so, yeah, just any advice, even if it is, I know, I know you said sort of, it's, it's a challenge for you, how you worked your way through that, how you manage it. I mean, for some people, I'm like, you can just literally be quiet and leave if that's all you can muster. But I just don't know if there was anything
2: more, um, active that you did. Oh yeah. I mean, and it's been, a journey, a a decades long journey of baby steps. I talk about safe risks a lot. I'm really into baby steps and safe risks. And so, and that is a different, it's defined differently for each person. There are some people that are like so good in the moment, um, saying, hey, this is not okay. This is what I need, this is what I want. Um, And for me, I wasn't raised like that. My family is very non-confrontational. We're like a say nothing and then just be like hurt for years about things kind of family. Really hold on to it. Just Really hold on to it, but never tell anyone that you're feeling that way. So um, I do have some tips that I like to tell people about learning to advocate for yourself at the doctor. And these are mostly centered around uh, people in larger bodies. Uh, or people with eating disorders, because that's my background. And so um, there's all kinds of things from the very moment that you start to make your appointment going to the doctor. Um, and one thing that I have learned to do when seeing a new um, medical professional is to have a list of things that I want them to know about me. And so um, it's I'm a freezer in the moment, like yeah. fight, flight, or freezer. Me too. Me too yeah, yeah. I freeze. And so I it's really it. hard in the moment, so I write them down and I give them to the medical assistant or the nurse or whatever, and I say like, here's some stuff that's helpful to know about me. Could you put this in my chart? Um, could you make sure that the doctor sees this? And if I can do that um, even before I show up for my first appointment, I do, or I bring it with me to my first appointment. And the, that note would include things like, I have a long history of being fat shamed at the doctor. I have a lot of trauma around this. Um, I need to have my blood pressure taken again at the end of the visit because it'll probably be much lower um and just stuff like that and Love then it. Love it. i don't um i don't mind being weighed because i have done a lot of work about releasing that number and releasing the power that it has um and so for me that's not an issue but that's also something else that could be included in that note um, and i find that by asking can you put this in my file or put this in my chart it like means something to them that they're like oh i need to like really take this seriously as opposed to offhand
0: mentioning it yeah
2: exactly Yeah. yeah it like gives it some weight and then um some other things that have been helpful is just like um aside from requesting or um admonishing for not having uh seating that's accessible or gowns that are accessible or whatever find things that they are doing well and compliment them because they might not even realize that they're doing this one thing that's actually really helpful for people in fat bodies Or people that have eating disorders and so if you tell them and you say thank you so much for having accessible seating it's really nice to finally come to a doctor's office and not have to get bruises on my hips like it it makes them go oh right and like what else could we do oh (laughs) yeah it like starts that conversation so that's another big thing is don't um, for me like not making everything negative and um, choosing to compliment them and celebrate the things that they are doing
0: yeah, I love that. I love looking for bright spots in every situation, so I think that's mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. And so for people who are maybe newly diagnosed or have been diagnosed for a while and maybe don't have the background that you had when you went into that doctor's office, do, do you guys want to talk just a little bit about the conventional beliefs around PCOS that tend to be harmful and maybe not necessarily so founded in good evidence or research <laughs> and... Yeah, just let's let's just talk about that first and foremost.
1: Oh, fun! <laughs> um, I'm happy to start, and yeah. Laura definitely chime in um, for the things I miss. But the thing I think about are like the big myths or things that people are told um, that are not true by medical providers, healthcare providers, family, friends, and that they cause their PCOS um, and many people are told, yeah, you gained too much weight and that's why you're here with this PCOS thing, or um, you ate too much of XYZ that caused this chronic condition that may make you no longer be able to have children. Yeah, it's your fault. Um, And (laughs) that's a really big, big, big one that um, way too many people are still hearing when they're getting diagnosed. And what is really important to know is that we know PCOS is passed down through families. There is a genetic connection to it. And we also, um, we know so little about it, you know, it's a syndrome that's this like diagnosis of exclusion. So it doesn't even have this like exact test at this point, they're working on one, but, um, at this point there's not this like exact thing that it's like a yes or no. So there's like a lot of ambiguity, but if we, uh, if someone says to me like, Oh, no, one in my family has ever been diagnosed with PCOS before. It can be helpful to consider like your family. Metabolic tree. Syndromes, any, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. things like, is there a lot of people in your family with type two diabetes were, right. um, people in your family? Um, many, many people in your family, not able to have children or just like mysteriously like Wow, I didn't have any cousins, um, you know, but I had lots of aunts and uncles. You know, like um, it, th- that's because people didn't talk about things with ovaries, and um, it probably wasn't diagnosed um, or and or talked about. So yeah, it's something that I think is really important for people to know is that is that part that it didn't cause it, and then the other one is. People are unfortunately still told that there's a cure for PCOS, that and they could take loss. this potion. <laughs> yeah, they could take this potion that costs a bazillion dollars, or if they just lose weight or do this program or whatever. And some people are able to find tools to help manage symptoms, but you cannot right. cure it. It is there. It's a chronic condition. That's how I see it as. It's something that's a chronic condition over time that's just like anything else that's a a lifelong experience. It's going to eventually get worse. I mean, I know it's like sounds so not great, but like it's going to get worse. Like that's what happens with like diabetes or many other kind of conditions that people have. It's just it's chronic. So over time, it does become harder to manage. And if people think they have this cure, they've been misled, you know. Right. 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 And so you,
0: both of you are doing such a beautiful job of offering up an alternative way to look at PCOS and to see it and to potentially consider managing those symptoms or, um, yeah, just working with PCOS while, while you have it, which will be for life. Um, can you just talk about that approach? Like, what is the difference in your approach to PCOS?
1: Hmm. What do
2: you think, mm-hmm. Laura? I don't know everything,
0: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> everything. It is, um, it's everything, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, so as somebody with PCOS, I can tell you that if I were to Google and like find the resources that most of us kind of easily find, um, what you're going to see first is lose weight probably by going keto. That's yep. like the big yep. the big thing. Um, and exercise, 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 because that will... Fix your body, apparently. <laughs> Never mind your chronic fatigue. I am. <laughs> Make it yeah. really
0: up. Um, keep going.
2: Yeah. But yeah. So there's like this really big. Okay. So for example, when I was looking for those resources in the beginning, I really wanted a community. I wanted other people with PCOS to talk about these things with and the communities that I found there's lots of communities there's lots of spaces out there for PCOS but they're all weight loss focused like number one like biggest thing is weight loss weight loss weight loss um, and they're super shamey it's like everyone gets together and feeds into this shame spiral they're shaming their bodies I hate this I hate this I hate this I'm disgusting I have to change everything and they're symptom shaming which feels so bad you can't control what's happening you can't control hair growth, hair loss, uh, dark patches on your skin, cravings, like all this stuff, like you're not in charge of this, but people shame themselves as if they did have control. And if they would only have more willpower and discipline, they could really control these things, which is exactly the same stuff that you hear in diet culture, right? So it's all wrapped up together. And so the, the work that Julie and I are doing together is really bringing number one, actual real factual information that comes from julie (laughs) and then um the body liberation side of things which is uh embodiment and mindfulness and really finding that connection with yourself so that you can take the science and the facts from julie and apply them to what you're actually feeling so like i think a really good example of this is when julie talks about cravings um specifically like carb cravings because Um, When you have PCOS, a lot of times, like, you will intensely crave carbohydrates like pasta or um, sugar. It's usually like a sweet or a savory for people. (laughs) Um, But it feels like I have never craved something like that in my life. Um, And in the past, I just thought, oh, I'm so undisciplined because I can't let go of that, I can't release that. But you know, learning from Julie, it's like, hey, that's your body telling you something. And so the embodiment side comes in and says, if you can learn to listen to your body. Okay, I'm feeling like really crazy for pasta. That's my personal one. Um, you know, like, can I connect with my body? Can I listen to what it's saying? What else am I feeling? You know, what else is going on with me? And from there, like figuring out, you know, here, here's like three things that I can do in this moment just to help me feel like more at ease and to find some peace with my body. And that is like completely anathema to what you find in the mm-hmm. other communities because it's all about blame and shame and negativity. And, right. like and, the, body and the craving
0: is, is a sign that your body's doing something wrong as opposed to your that body you're giving doing information. Something wrong. And you're doing, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like your body's giving you some great information. How can you nourish yourself through this exactly. in many ways? Oh, right. I love that.
1: I would yeah. love to add something to that too. Is that okay? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, cause you know, hearing you talk about that, Laura, the thing that I think of is like a theme is that we want people with PCOS to reclaim the expert role of their body. You know, mm-hmm. they're told that like, they can't trust their body. They need to just work harder and, and, um, it's going to hurt, but just do it. And we know better. And, um, Laura and I are like, no, like it's your body. You're in charge of your body. Um, and here are some tools that may or may not help, but like experiment with them and you'll, you get to decide what you want to do. You know, you get to decide what, what you want to do with that, if anything. And, and then also the part, like, it's not this individual's like thing. It's, it's really this cultural experience, like helping someone to, Live in a world that is telling that their body is unacceptable. Like that's just not someone's like gonna have to do their own body image work to like be able to to live with. It's something that, like you need to um, connect with other people who are doing this together. And um I think together we are seeing so much like power and um and again, advocacy happening because people are coming together and like rejecting diet culture together, which yeah. um is so. I love that. You know, one of the reasons I I wanted to do this series for a
0: really long time, but I was nervous because I was nervous about it feeling like individual pressure to solve your individual health problem and how to do that better. Um, But I decided just to move forward because of so many people, so many individuals that I work with who... Are do have health conditions and are getting terrible advice and can't find the community. All they can find when they're Googling or when they're looking or when they're at their healthcare practitioner's office um, is diet culture advice. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go forward, but I'm so glad, I love that you're bringing that up and that idea that like, this is really a cultural issue. Like if we weren't so shaming about bodies, Mm -hmm. this could be a much more pleasant thing to manage
2: and and experience
0: and live with. Right. Right.
2: Totally. Yeah. And you know, it's like, even from the most base level of, uh, feeling like you can share it with your friends and family and not worry about the pushback, you know, like diet culture. So permeates every part of our lives and and everyone has like really drunk the kool-aid you know and so they really truly believe that what they're saying is like the truth and they want the best for you but i hear from so many people and julia i i would imagine that you do too that they don't even feel like it's safe to talk to like their mom or their sister or you know whatever their friends and family about it because when you are the one person moving away from diet culture and everyone else is still like within the fold. (laughs) Mm. Um, It's so isolating and scary and it's, it's hard. Like, you're still like, okay, I'm trying to reinforce this. And like, you know, having somebody that you love and trust so much, like coming at you with, but I care about your health and and like, I believe this is true and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all that coming at you. It makes you, it, it teaches you that it's not safe to talk about things And so then that stigma of having something like PCOS, um, which often happens uh, with people in larger bodies, right? Who already deal with that stigma and the trauma of being in a larger body. It's like, what do you learn over and over and over in different scenarios is like, that it's not safe to talk about it. It's not safe to reach out and connect. And so um, then you do, and you, you know, find those negative body-shamey diet culture communities. (laughs) so. the like a burgeoning movement of anti-diet PCOS solidarity <laughs> that I see happening in our community. And like, I see, you know, more of it starting to happen like on social media, really. Cause that's where I spend most of my time. <laughs> um, it's like so heartening to me because like, I just don't think that that has existed before. And I think that there have been like pockets of these communities or pockets of people who were, you know, trying to, be that little island in the sea of diet culture yeah yeah
0: the one the one area i this is a bit of a tangent and i can always cut it if it doesn't really work but the one area as a practitioner i still am finding a really like i'm starting to find more diabetes pockets pcos pockets perimenopause like a lot of the things that i'm bringing on to the to the podcast um fatty liver disease i'm still really struggling to Mm. find resources and anti-diet practitioners and communities so just I'm putting it out there that if it crosses either of your
1: paths.
0: Oh, it um, does. Cause
1: it's really common in PCOS. Does it? Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you talk so, about it a little? Will you just, sure. just bring it? Cause I really, really wanted to have somebody on the show to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I just struggled to find someone. So if you just want to talk about that for just a minute and then we can. Yes.
1: Circle and I'm out. like, oh, there, there's probably someone who knows a lot more than I do about it. But I've happened to have probably a half a dozen clients who have experienced it lately, um, which is weird. You know, sometimes these happen in clusters. But um, but yeah, uh, people with PCOS are at higher risk for the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm-hmm. And um, it's because of the high circulating insulin levels. Um over time things like triglycerides are higher and the body's you know, just the inability to be able to break down carbohydrate because of the higher circulating insulin levels. Um and and also I would also put on there too, like the the chronic dieting, how it's stressed to just eliminate carbohydrates, doesn't over time really help insulin levels come down. We've seen that in research many times. And so there's just, it ends up happening for a lot of people anyway. And then with the push for dieting too, I think it's going to happen more often. So what I, um, have found myself doing a lot more with clients is like there there's a lot of times my clients that I've worked with for years and years who experience this condition, um, they're like Laura and that they've really been firmly walking in a, the relationship with food with while rejecting diets, you know, and then when this condition happens, it's scary. Cause it's your liver, you know, like, yeah, you, you oh, really yes. want your liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a bigger push for now you really need to do something. Uh, now you really needed to buckle down. And, um, and unfortunately there's like, again, it, it steers away from like, okay, no, we need to help people figure out a way to lower insulin levels and, um, help manage things like blood sugar and to like, help with um getting enough rest and um dealing with like this chronic condition i mean it's just it's a part of it for many people with pcos another one that's really common is is diabetes you know half of people yeah. half of people with pcos are going to experience diabetes by the time they're 40. it's just right. something that happens so um yeah so the the fatty liver disease basically what i've done with my clients individually is like uh, what can we add to this um, regimen. Um, when I say regimen, I mean like, is there any supplements we can add? Is there, um, can we experiment with adding protein somewhere? I don't encourage removing anything. Um, yeah. I actually discourage that. And yeah, how can we help with rest? How's your sleep? Do you need a sleep study done? Um, those are all things that can help lower insulin levels too. And so for some people, this is when they start adding on some more supplements. I mean, honestly, that's what a lot of my clients end up choosing.
0: Yeah, my background is a naturopath. And so that's what I, 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 so I'm really big on add in strategies and I'm like, I feel like those of us who work with human beings and if you're really invested in, in the care of the human being that's in front of you, you pretty quickly realize the limit to food work, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, like even if you're not totally getting the whole movement, I think most people start to get that really quickly. And then supplements are quite helpful in a lot of these yeah, situations. Yeah. Right. And it's like, why don't we just start to add in some things that are going to be really helpful. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah and is one that we end up um, with my berberine. clients and I, yeah, that yeah. we usually are starting to explore at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know as a naturopath if you have any other ones that you recommend. But yeah, there's that's a usually few PCOS what happens.
0: Ones that I really like. But yeah, yeah, I just I love this idea of of adding in and also looking at all of the many determinants of health, as opposed to like, it's so interesting how the moment there's a diagnosis, everything gets hyper focused on food and exercise mm-hmm. and everybody forgets there's like stress and emotions and relationships and and the other layers, the race and the gender and the sexuality and the, you know, um sleep and just all of the things that play into how how well we're going to fare with something, right? It just gets so focused on food and exercise. But with that, with that said, um, it sounds like you do a little bit of food work, like just a little bit. How and, and you've kind of have already talked about it, but how do you approach that? And Laura, how do you or do you how do you work with food um, in your life, or if if you do at all?
1: So how I um, do the food part well. Um, I have kind of like, a. I I almost kind of see it as layers in my head, but whenever yeah. I'm talking to someone with PCOS, I always want to make sure first and foremost, are they eating enough? Yeah. Um, and most of my clients have told me no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> like is uh, um, if they're in a fat body, uh, I, people have let me know that the assumption is of course they're eating too much. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> let's make sure you're eating enough because not getting enough food is something that we know from research that um, leads to higher insulin levels and higher, uh, inflammation levels, which are two things you don't want to be higher, or you want to like work with, if you're trying to do a little bit of management with your symptoms of PCOS, helping to lower those is something that you, you know, can help. It can help improve ovulation and, um, energy levels and all that other stuff. So, um, yeah, making sure you're eating enough. And then from there, I do help, um, people connect with some supplements. Um, one is a Nositol that I recommend and Yeah. An omega three supplement. And then after that, it's, um, you know, you probably need more protein. Um, I don't know exactly how much let's, um, let's dive in to figure out for you if this is a tool you want to experiment with. Um, I don't want you to remove anything. (laughs) I'm not saying cut out carbohydrates or sugar. I know that's what you're hearing, but I don't do that. Or I don't recommend that. But, um, sometimes you can add protein in places, um, or just overall, and it's something that I've seen help people's insulin levels come down, and ovulation improve, and things like that. Energy levels, cravings change, and um, and those you know those are the big those are the biggest uh, blocks that I blocks meaning like not like keeping me in the way, but just like the big things that I kind of consider as I'm starting to work with someone. Those like are the, the foundational that, blocks. Foundational, so like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it.
0: Yeah. And do you have anything to add, Laura? I mean, I know that um in the work I do anyway there's always going to be individuals where food working with food all we can do is just establish a healthy relationship with food right and that in and of itself it's enough and it's all that can happen um but I don't know if you want to add to it Laura if there's anything that you do do or anything that's been helpful
2: yeah well um and so I kind of see two sides of this is like what has been helpful for me and how do I interact with other people around food and like to help them and for um, a while I was doing individual coaching and so there's a lot more of that in this and so now there's less of that but I still is like really just wanting to support people as they're moving away from diet culture or even if they've moved away from diet culture you know we still live within diet culture right and so I always I always talk about like swimming against the stream and if you stop swimming then you get taken by the current And so um, a lot of the things that I talk about with people is like, how do we continue to affirm, how do we keep swimming affirming that um, that we know our bodies the best that like Julie said, like, we're the, we're the experts on our bodies. Um, And to listen to, are you hungry? Did you eat? And you're still hungry. That's okay. You're allowed to still be hungry. You don't have to question it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like such a basic thing. But for people like me, Um, who have similar experiences like in a fat body or with eating disorders or, um, getting PCOS and being told to diet, you don't, you're not allowed, you're not given, you know, freedom or permission to trust your body. So, um, I spent a lot of my life not knowing if I was hungry because I, I literally didn't know if I was, I was like, my stomach hurts. I don't know if I'm hungry or if I have a stomachache because I also have IBS. So I'm like, I
1: right. don't know
2: <laughs> what's <laughs> happening in my body. But I, I even now still will go, OK, what am I feeling? And I'll be like, oh, I'm hungry. And it's like this holdover from that. So I do um, I do support people in that in those ways, which is really it goes back to embodiment, um, being present, noticing, being mindful um, and giving yourself permission to eat food, to enjoy food, to not moralize about what food is good, and what food is bad. Um, Yeah, and then so for myself, I do all of those same things. And um, really, like, so the for the past couple years, like, um, I've really been focused on just eating enough food throughout the day. And so that's like my personal thing. And so I talk to people about that also. But that goes back to what Julie was talking about, is like, are you eating enough? Um, And even somebody who isn't a super fat body, Is not necessarily eating enough. And so, yeah, definitely. That's really important to talk about. I'm so glad Julie always brings that up and um, puts it out there into the world because I, growing up, literally no one in my life has ever asked if I uh, am eating enough food. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. um,
0: I'm uh, finishing my associateship with Ellen Satter. So, it's another competence trust based eating model. And listen to this great webinar with Libby Jackson, who does eating disorder work. And, uh, it's so amazing to hear, you know, when it comes to recovery, that like something biological, like menstrual threshold, can happen at uh, BMI correct. I'm doing this in quotes, you know, uh, quotations correct weight. But menstrual threshold, like when a when when a when a period might come back for an individual, for example, um, can be totally different. It can be, it can be so much higher than what our BMI scale would tell us, and that means that that's the correct place for that person maybe even 10 or 20 or you know like even a higher weight for that individual and to actually have somebody in the eating disorder world present that information that there can be a problem at many different weights and there can be recovery at many different weights and that that's all normal that that's that's it's happening right
1: yeah and That's what a shame affirming. too yeah, yeah it's a shame too because people with pcos there's definitely a higher um, incidence of eating disorders so many people are kept from recovery because the the recovery process for a lot of people ends up including like this meal plan that once a person starts like gaining quote too much weight or like too fast that everyone in the treatment team's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We need to slow this down." Um, I, I, it's one
0: of my it's one of my biggest. Yeah.
1: And so then then so their person's restricting, and then also told that they need to like restrict to, or they must be doing something wrong, or they must be eating outside of this, or, um. And, and I that, think yeah. the that's providers need they, to get that checked.
2: <laughs> even Go if ahead. they can get treatment in the first place, You're right? Yeah. That's like presuming that they like make it into treatment and actually can mm-hmm. access that.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point too. So many people, um, higher weights or basically people who are not white and thin, um, yeah, they're just not getting access to treatment. And for people with PCOS that is happening so often. And well,
0: yeah, well, well, uh, I'm calling her Libby. It's Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Jackson and she's coming on the podcast to talk about eating disorders. But what we were talking about is, is that people aren't believed, which is just Mm -hmm. so gut wrenching, you -hmm. know, it's that, Oh, well, this person can't be telling the truth about what they Mm -hmm. eat. And it's like, no, no, they are,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and that's an experience that happens when trying to seek eating disorder treatment. That like personally happened to me, but it also happens when you try to seek medical care. And there's a reason why, you know, people talk about, oh, fat people, you don't even go to the doctor. And it's like, yeah, a lot of fat people don't go to the doctor and they maybe don't even try to seek treatment for their eating disorders because they know based on experience how they're going to be treated, that they're not gonna be believed. They're going to not be treated with respect and dignity uh, that a thin person would be afforded. And, you know, like, God help you if you are fat and black, and disabled. You know, like, there's so many things yeah. that just pile on. And it's like, of course, people aren't getting the resources that they need because the system that we exist within is set up so that they won't get them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a teenager, I tried to go and get help for my eating disorder. Um, and I went to a, a group and literally was asked, why are you here? Like, in a, like, why are you here kind of way? Yeah. Um, and and was basically, like, made to, to see that I needed to leave and not come back. And so, like, if teenage Laura Burns could have gotten treatment for her eating disorder, like, what would have my, like, 20s and 30s looked like? You know, like, my whole yeah. life could have been different if I would have been able to access that care. But because I was clearly shown that I shouldn't be there, I didn't. And so I continued to, like, struggle and have problems for a really long time after that. And it's, like, I was even at that point a person that was, like, reasonably (laughs) advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine somebody who, you know, just, like, has, like, is that, like, a zero for that, you know, for the ability to, to speak up or the belief that, you know, anyone would um, believe them, you know, and, and give them the the help that they needed. It's like disgusting to me (laughs) when I think about how people are treated and how, um, the, the system of white supremacy and diet culture that we live within, like creates these lived experiences that are just like trauma on trauma on trauma for like your whole life.
0: I'm so thankful that you guys are doing what you're doing and that there's so many people who are, who are, um, opening up spaces, you know, and opening up the conversation. Um, so that's, that's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place to end. I do want to ask what, just bring one more thing in. Cause you guys, I believe it was on your shared, uh, Instagram feed but you did a great post about the studies that are actually behind. I just want to address the whole carb thing one more time, because I feel like it needs to be reinforced over and over and over again. Um, but you did a great post about like 27 small studies or something ridiculous behind this whole keto push with PCOS. And I just wondered if you guys could talk about that. Because um, I just want to drill it in one more time, that this is not <laughs> the only, the one and only way to treat uh
1: PCOS. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I don't know what happened, but I just really had this like bug that I was like, I'm going to do a deep dive right now. Sometimes this happens. And it was on keto and PCOS. And so I actually ended up writing a blog post on it too, but, um, on our Instagram, you can see it. But if you want to know more of like the research studies I pulled, um, it's at and will take you right to it. But um, yeah, there's like this, basically the, the, the treatment method right now that everyone is hearing diagnosed with PCOS, they're either told to eat a certain way. That means you don't, I don't want to say the actual diet, but it's like where you don't eat for a long time. Yeah. And then the other one is keto. And um, like, it's like this blanket statement, like, like it's, like, it's a, I don't know, a medication that has all this proof behind. And so one thing I knew is in 2018, there was this huge, like, release of, like, evidence-based guidelines with PCOS, like, diagnosis, um, treatment, and, like, all these different things. They, like, they, they um, had, like, 3,000 different um, practitioners and researchers help make this happen. And the food part, it said there's, like, there are zero diets that have been found to be sustainable or health and health promoting for most people with pcos Uh, unfortunately they concluded the statement with so just pick whatever one you want but (laughs) so um so you know there's that so we already know that research has been done but there's um a few there's a few research studies that kind of do keto-esque but i was like no i want to find pcos and keto studies Okay. So mm-hmm. the number you quoted, I think it was 29, but it may actually be 27. Oh, okay. Like you said, but whatever that's who cares. It's still both are really Ridiculous, poor, yeah. but, um, there's two studies that were, that have been done on and total 29 people, um, that have gone through from start to finish these studies. And the longest one was six months. So again, you have to remember like, we can do a lot of things for 12 weeks to, to six, you know, six months. And, um, the attrition rate is, um, was very high. Cause one of the studies had more people in it, but then the attrition rate was really, impressive. really, really, um, high, which is really normal in diet studies period, which has yeah. to give you pause. Yes, But basically, yes. <laughs> you know, it shows that it does something like keto does seem to do something for like egg quality. Um, what else lowers insulin levels and inflammation levels in the short term. But so do every other diet under the sun, but we don't have any long-term data with keto and PCOS, but we have long-term data and, um, diets in general, no matter what diet it is, whether you continue or not two years out and further out insulin, insulin levels are higher. Inflammation levels are higher. Blood sugar is higher. And so we, there's this like association, like a correlation with higher weight and disease a correlation, which is not like causation, causation. yes, but there is actually causation linked to um, inflammation and disease. And we know that um, dieting or not dieting, I'm sorry, weight cycling. So if people going on and off diet, that also has like a causal link to inflammation. So, and, and insulin levels too. So basically the whole thing with keto and PCOS is like 29 people total have been studied for six months or less to give you this recommendation. And what Laura and I hear so much is that, like, when the people try keto, they feel like hell. You know, there's going to be that random person that's like, oh, I feel great, oh, yeah. whatever. But for the most part, there's, people are like, oh, my gosh, I felt awful. Um, I couldn't sleep. I had no energy. I had headaches and blah. I and would see people who looked gray. Yeah. Like their skin looked gray. I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is good. Yeah. We like let your body tell you, like, it's trying really hard to tell you something. Um, And I think it's really important for people with PCOS. If they're like putting all their eggs into the keto basket, which kind of sounds like a food pun. um, (laughs) And and the PCOS pun maybe. Yeah. That's true. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I have no idea. But like literally 29 people, that's it. Like there's no other, like medication or like even medical like recommendation that would be used with so much emphasis if it only had 29 people behind it
0: yeah well and like you said in that in the in those guidelines like the key words there are like sustainable and health promoting right and it's like the same conversation I had on the diabetes podcast which is like I'm sure you can do a lot of crazy things to short-term affect your insulin but what's the what's the trade-off for that what's mm-hmm. the long term trade off and like what you're saying which we which I know as well in my work is that the long term trade off is higher insulin levels more inflammation high, more erratic blood sugar all of mm-hmm. the things that we that we don't want and um and I think the one other thing that really stands out to me in that in this healthist kind of wellnessy world that we're currently in where quality um and food choices are heavily linked to inflammation to really understand that diet cycling and weight cycling causes inflammation yeah like, to me yes. that's such a big on like a big important point right yeah and the other thing, just that's like, Oh no, it's just the sugar. Oh no, no, no. It's just that it's like, no, 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 no. It's yeah. this roller coaster right. that you're on. Right.
1: Yeah. And every food's going to cause inflammation, just like breathing air causes inflammation. Like it's not, but this chronic pro-inflammatory state, no dieting, weight cycling, and also weight stigma that like those also yes. cause like all three of them. And of course, like systemic oppression, uh, <laughs> racial inequality, <laughs> Blanket statement. Yeah, oh. those are all linked to inflammation as well. So yeah. that's why it, that's why so much of this is like, we need to come together and change some things around. Um, you know, just eating more kale is not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, so what I'd love to finish with is, um, do you guys just want to talk about some of the beautiful effects or like the outcomes when you decide to approach PCOS- in this way like what besides okay so you know you touched on a little bit um about hormones and stuff but just like what's the what's the outcome for people who are managing their pcos and they decide to do it from an anti-dependent body respecting way what to, what do you see in your practice julie
2: what have you found laura to be what what's the outcome mm. Well, um, so for me, when I hear that question, I immediately think of the beautiful things that I see in people and in myself that have to do with the, um, the healing from maybe a lifetime of trauma, yeah. of daily relived trauma, um, of being in a fat body, the peace that can come with giving yourself permission to be the boss of your own body, right, to say like, Body autonomy, I claim this land for myself and I'm gonna make the choices. I have the power. This might be the first time that people are really owning that power and saying, I this is how I'm gonna eat because it feels right for me. Um, this is who I'm gonna spend time with because it feels best for me. Um, here are the things that I am gonna prioritize because they're health promoting for me, which is Maybe I always talk about curating the bubble, right? And so we see all this stuff as like people talking about, oh yeah, you know, like I stopped following all the people that make me feel like garbage. And I only follow like people that make me feel like happy or inspired or connected. And it's like, just that change alone can really impact what your daily life feels like. Cause all of a sudden you're not getting all this like gross negative stuff coming at you. People choosing to reclaim uh, ancestral foods that they've been made to feel like they're not allowed to eat. Yes. You know, yes, which yes, is yes, a yes, huge yes. thing. We're so huge. It's
0: unhealthy. Yeah. 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 Because
2: it's unhealthy or that they've only allowed themselves to eat like like Whole Foods versions of for so long <laughs> that they don't even remember like what good ass macaroni and cheese tastes like, you know, <laughs> like real noodles and real cheese. <laughs> Um, And so just all these things of like reclaiming is what the the word that comes to mind. It's like reclaiming the space around me, the people that I spend time with, the food that I eat, the thoughts that I want to think about my body and other people's bodies, the conversations that I want to have about the world, about food, about bodies. Um, Yeah. And so it's just like empowerment, reclaiming um, this connection with themselves and with other people that are bolstering for them. Um, and so, like, in our community, that's what I see, and it's, like, I cry easily, but, like, I will cry, like, just seeing an interaction between people, you know, we have these things called pods, which are, like, smaller groups within yeah. the bigger community, and, like, when we're on a um, a call, and they're, like, oh, yeah, I have the best pod, blah, 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 and I'm, like, oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it's it, it's just, like, people Very with joyful connecting with
0: joy which is not not what I would right which I would not normally associate with PCOS management or any kind of illness management right (laughs) that wouldn't be a normal so I yeah what about you Julie anything to add to that
1: yeah I think what I think about um is by rejecting diets and reclaiming that expert role of your body how you don't have to be on that roller coaster anymore you know that just that chaotic, um, maybe there's some like thrills to it. It may improve access. You know, that's something that definitely Mm -hmm. being smaller improves improves access, but, um, there's all these other things that a person's giving up, which, you know, a, a relationship with food that feels easier and is not torture. Um, and then also when a person is having to diet and fight their body, Um, that means that they're not able to engage in all these other parts of their life. Like Laura was talking about like relationships and connection and joy and pleasure. And so I think of it as like a holistic kind of experience where you're actually um, all the different parts of you, whatever you decide for you is like, either wellness or health or what, whatever you want to describe, like for you, what you want your life to look like. It's like including all the pieces and, you know, food has some power, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dietitian, so I think it has some part to, you know, our life, but it's not supposed to be all of it, you know? It's yeah, that's what that I always see too piece. as
0: a naturopath. I'm like, it's, it's, it needs to go back in its little box as like, or it's like a yeah. piece of the pie and there's all of these other pieces of the pie. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And so the
0: delicious pie.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so there's, um, it just food, you has the amount of, of power that you want it to have. And, um, then you're able to basically have the connections that you want to have. So then, um, I don't know, to me, I'm like, I don't use the word health very often, often, but I feel like that to me is like what health is about is like having, um, relationships and connections and access and, um, being able to live the life you want to live. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, I feel warning. like we could have
0: a whole other conversation on that word. I'm struggling with it every day. Health,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: I really same. do same. And I, and it's like, people understand it, but they don't and all of the things it brings up. Like, it's just a tough, it's a tough word, isn't it?
1: It is. And it's one that for Laura and I, we definitely have this um, connection with the word where we don't think you have to be healthy. Like it's your, it's not a moral, yeah. no, it's not a moral no, thing. It's, it's, yeah. Not. yeah, yeah nobody owes
2: and I'm doing quotes now health nobody owes that to anyone else and we uh it's such a challenging word like you're saying but like we get to decide what that means for us yeah you know and like especially people with chronic illness um our definition of health may never align with like mainstream like you're in a different place and that's okay and that's fine
0: yeah yeah Yeah.
2: but like that is is not the uh mainstream wisdom yet but we're yeah, working just, on it one day I one day more.
0: Word, I'm trying to <laughs> redefine it but you know if you find one message me first and vice versa <laughs> so, okay thank you so much thank you guys i just really i just so value and appreciate this combination of like research and lived experience and um it's just really beautiful it's really beautiful to see do you want to let people know like where they can find you and if you have anything any programs or anything that you just want to plug real quick before we finish up?
1: Sure. Let's see. So the easiest way to find us is on our website, PCOSBodyLiberation.com. You can find out about the community there. We also have a YouTube channel we started. Um, so we're doing some, um, a couple of times a month, we're jumping in there and talking about PCOS Body Liberation. It's called PCOS Conversations with Laura and Julie. And we're on Instagram, same handle PCOS Body Liberation. what I forget? um laura i'm like i feel like i forgot something <laughs> no i think
0: that's. i think i can put all the things. links in the show notes for everything thank yeah. you
1: <laughs> yes
0: okay well thank you so much i so appreciate this
1: thanks for yeah, having us on thanks for thank having us.
0: first up have you rated and reviewed the show yet if not please go to iTunes and do. It really means a lot to the show and it means a lot to me. Second, have you shared this podcast, this series, this show in particular with a friend or family member who might need it? If not, again, please do. Uh, There was so much magic and juiciness and intelligence in that episode and in all of these Beyond Weight episodes, and we really do want to spread the message far and wide that there are better ways to manage these conditions that have been um, you know, named lifestyle conditions. The biggest takeaway for me in that episode, and there were many, but the biggest is how much more joyful and peaceful and manageable it can be to live with PCOS or any chronic illness when we're committed to looking at bodies compassionately and working with our bodies instead of fighting them. And that's not to say that it's easy or to oversimplify or trivialize the experience of living with a chronic illness, but just to suggest that dieting and shaming your body is only making it worse. So please share, rate, review. Um, Yeah, I think we're, you know, Uh, all of the people that are coming on this episode are really trailblazing. They're forging a new path when it comes to illness and the word health. Um, And I'm so glad that you've been along and are continuing to be along for the ride. So until next time, have a wonderful day.